119 of the Sleeper and the Buzz podcast brought to you by Fangraphs.com. I'm Jason Collette, apologizing for not having a show on uh, last Thursday or this Sunday because both of the co-hosts had something. Uh, you know, you were traveling out to a wedding in South Carolina, correct? Yeah, and I partied too hard. <laughs> I am not sick. <laughs> and then uh, Nick Minix, unfortunately, did not get to party too hard. He has a, a, a sudden death in the family he had to go deal with, uh, so he had to fly back across the country from San Diego to Pennsylvania. So uh, thoughts with him as he deals with that. And that's why there wasn't a show the last two, uh, the last two planned days, scheduled days, uh, because I really didn't feel like talking to myself for 45 minutes. It's uh, doesn't make for good uh, radio. My wife hates it when I talk to myself, so I don't think anybody else wants to listen to it. Uh, so <laughs> today we've got a bunch of talk about uh, starting with two people that have new jobs. One's me. And the other one is Stephen Drew. Uh, if, in case you didn't see the other day, uh, this episode and next episode will be my last regular uh, midweek appearances. I'll be doing the Sunday shows uh, with Nick once he can return, but midweek stuff for me, gone. I'm going back into my educational technology field. An opportunity came up that was way too good for me to turn down for my family, uh, and I'm going that route. And I will miss all of the ums and the yas and the mispronunciations from you, uh, just to let you know that. But yeah, you and I, uh, this regular duo that we've been doing now since the uh, the baseball winter meetings. That's been fun for, what, five months now? Yeah, I'm yeah, sad. I, I has a sad, too. Uh, but uh, Stephen Drew no longer has a sad, because Stephen Drew is now employed by the team uh, who he turned down in the offseason, looking for the uh, multi-year deal turned down Boston's qualifying offer and uh, Boston played it out, played out the waiting game and ended up getting him back. He is being paid a prorated salary off that qualifying offer for the rest of the season. Uh, immediate fantasy impacts for him. I'm guessing Will Middlebrooks gets the short end of this stick because I would assume that once Drew is game ready, he's going to go to shortstop and Bogarts is going to go back over to third base. The only weird thing that I've seen is that the Sox said just like last week, or said, what is it, on Sunday, they said they're not moving Xander Bogarts to third third base. They're not inclined. Ben Charrington said not inclined to move Xander Bogarts to another position. And, you know, it's not like the Stephen Drew signing is really a long-term solution. It's it's a one-year deal, pro-rated, 10 million bucks. It's not... It's not a long-term solution, and, and, and Bogarts represents that. So I don't know what this means. I think that Drew's, you know, in the past has been a better shortstop defensively maybe, but he's also getting older, and, um, you know, you can't necessarily just project him into plus defense once again. So, I mean, it could get a surprise. Maybe one of the reasons – I mean, you also have to think about it this way. He, he held out for some mm-hmm. reason. And maybe it was for multiple years, but, you know, he didn't get multiple years, and he would have had to wait till June to get an offer from somewhere else. So somehow, looking around, he didn't like what he saw. And, you know, possibly part of why he didn't want to go back to Boston was, like, that you were going to play third for us. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, when you look at the open market, 
there was a good chance the Yankees would have been after him. There's a good chance the Tigers would have been after him. So the, it doesn't look like he had bad opportunities if he had waited this out another two weeks. So it's what what's the, what's the advantage of doing it now? As Craig Calcaterra joked, maybe maybe uh, Drew was out of things to watch on Netflix and decided, okay, it's time to go hit baseballs and go field baseballs. But it just seemed the timing of this seemed really weird because it was you know today's what March twentieth, uh, May May twentieth, and two more weeks he could have had his choice of any team. Yeah, I guess at twenty one years old, there is a non. Uh, there's a there's a there's an actual risk that Xander Bogarts could send down, and I, I haven't I don't really necessarily think he's been struggling as bad as some people think. Double digit walk yeah. rate, a little power, you know, no big red flags, but I guess maybe you could say they might have expected more power out of him. Um, maybe I mean he's got he's got an 11 percent walk rate, a 369 on base percentage, and a 107 OPS OPS plus. I think any other guy we're talking about are like this is great above average offensive player and yet here there are people calling i saw joel sherman say that that bogart has had uh sketchy offense i'm like really i mean getting on base doing those kind of things sure he's not hitting with power sure he's not running but that put him up the top of the i don't even seen where he's been hitting in the lineup to be honest with you but if you have if you have pedrori hitting one and you have bogart's hitting two that's two guys with strong on base percentages right there in front of david ortiz yeah, and there's no way that Will Middlebrooks is going to project to a better weighted offense than Xander Bogarts. I mean, the, the, only once in his career has Middlebrooks done anything close to what Xander is doing right now, and he did it uh, in 2012 uh, with a with a nice BABIP and a bunch of power in a short sample. So, you know, the projections from here on out for Middlebrooks are for – Less than average offense, okay defense, and something that adds up to about an average player. Whereas Xander, you know, the, the, the rest of the season projections are are all for like significantly better than league average offense and significantly better than average defense. So, you know, you know that the Red Sox of all teams are looking at this, and you know that. In the short term, the best scenario is to somehow put Bogarts and Drew on that infield. So I have to think that that's going to work out. But there is still that little bit of risk that they'd say, you know, we're going to let Bogarts, you know, try to hit for more power in the minor leagues and we're going to put Middlebrooks at third for now. And here's what I don't understand. I mean, this is I, – I know that roster lineup construction is is small in the grand scheme of things. But we're here. When you look at Boston's lineup, you've got David Ortiz on base at 394, Pedroia at 347, Napoli at 393, and Bogarts at 369. For the life of me, I don't understand why those four guys aren't at the top of the lineup. And right now, Victorino's been hitting second most most games. His on base percentage is 313. His slugging percentage is 370. You know why not? If the problem Boston's three games under 500, the way they're playing now. Maybe it's because the back half of that offense isn't generating anything because you have a bunch of guys that are struggling to get on base outside of Bogarts and people that really aren't showing much power. Why not put Victorino down there fifth, do a lineup of Pedroia, Bogarts, Ortiz, Napoli, and and Victorino? Gives you some nice you know, right, right, left, right, left balance in the middle of the lineup a little bit. And, or... Uh, 
with Victorino still with right because the switch hitting's gone. But it just seems to me it's kind of weird that for a guy that's getting on base that much and for a team that has struggled to score runs at times, why do they have such a high on base guy hitting seventh in the lineup? Yeah, that's very strange. I guess, you know, Xander doesn't really have the speed of a Victorino, but you, you, you wouldn't think that Boston would be thinking about that sort of thing. You would think. Uh, so that's... That's going on in Boston. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, other eyes are are in Detroit tonight as Trevor Bauer takes the mound as a full-time member of the Cleveland Indians rotation. Uh, baptism by fire, obviously, because he gets to take on the Detroit Tigers uh, and Victor Martinez, who still has more home runs and strikeouts. Miguel Cabrera, who is hitting like Miguel Cabrera again. Uh, Torrey Hunter's hitting well. What do we expect? I, I had a lot of people hit me up on Twitter. Do you start Trevor Bauer tonight? Honestly, no, you don't. This is a terrible matchup for him. But if you disagree with me, that's fine. But moving forward, what 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 should we expect from Trevor Bauer for the rest of this year? I did tell someone in a head-to-head league to start him. And I, I just have a different approach in head-to-head leagues. Lightning in a bottle can be fun. And you have all the rest of the week to, to, to adjust, especially at the beginning of the week, something like this. You have all the rest of the week to adjust if he has a bad start. And it's even if you lose, you know, the week, it's just a week. So I, you know, I'm always a little bit more willing to start a an iffy starter in head to head. But um, you know, if I was watching my innings pace or uh, just even in roto, I don't think I would start him. I would love to have him on my bench. I'd love to pick him up. There are things that have significantly changed. He used to have really really bad ball rates on all mm-hmm. of his pitches. He used to. He used to give, you know, he used to get percent of his, sixty uh, percent of his curves, and uh, it was just ball rates that were terrible everywhere. And right now, his four seam is down to thirty three. His slider and curve are around twenty nine. So that's a really big change. I have to think it has something to do with the mechanical changes they've made. Everything looks good. They, so I guess it looks like he's not throwing his screwball anymore. Some people say screwball screwballs are bad for your arm. Um, you know, the one thing that I would say is that most of his stuff breaks in one direction. He's only thrown two split fingers this year, and his change hasn't gotten a single whiff. But he has barely thrown, I don't think he has thrown 100 pitches. And, you know, his changeup actually looks like it might be one of those changeups that he throws for uh, for ground balls because it, Bauer's changeup goes 88 and his four seam goes 96, so it really could like, right. go either it, way. I mean, that's a lot of velocity. The other thing, he stopped sliding around on the mound. If people will recall him last year, he would pitch from one side of the rubber against certain batters and the other side against the others based on handedness. He's, he stopped that madness. That, I never understood how that worked for him. Yeah, I, I'll always recall the game he had against Tampa Bay last year where he walked the first four batters of the game. Could not command his fastball for anything, but yet kept switching around in the rubber. I'm like, man, if you can't command your fastball, why are you moving? Why are you creating a new hole in the mound for yourself? Just stay in one spot uh, and work it. But reports have been very good on him. Uh, conversely, Salazar, this is long overdue. Outside of the start against San Francisco, Salazar's looked terrible. He went down to the minor leagues, pitched today, looked terrible again today. Uh, it, it, commanding his fastball has not been has not been something he's been able to do this year. Yeah, I, I still believe in him because you know, a he's done it, and B the stuff is is pretty lights out. Uh, but this year the slider was a little bit worse than it was last year for Salazar, and the command was just totally gone. So I, 
you know, I'll acquire him in, in deeper dynasties. I'll, 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 you know, put feelers out there to see if I can pick him up in, in deep leagues. Um, but in, in the deeper the league, the savvier the owner and the more likely they're going to say, well, I'm not going to let you buy low right. on this guy. So right. it's going to be pretty hard to buy low. And, in, in, and I'm not necessarily saying you should buy low in mixed leagues because, you know, he's not even in the major leagues right now. And it's really hard to keep any pitcher that's not in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, so, if he can reestablish himself and get back on track down in AAA, there's a good chance he can slot right in for Zach McAllister, who's pitching very poorly lately. Uh, he's got some terrible matchups heading for him. He hasn't pitched well. So there's a good chance that that kind of thing could happen for him. But he's got to pitch. I mean, today he couldn't get through three innings. Yeah, that's bad. But I just really don't believe in Zach McAllister. I looked at his stuff recently, and, and he didn't have a single pitch that was above average in ground balls or whiffs. So he has a bit of a of a you know of a of a decent fastball, but mm-hmm. that's it. So I think Zach McAllister is ripe for the taking, um, and that's why I do actually have Salazar in one mixed league. I've still held on to him. I'm just not going to drop him. And I have him in another keeper league that's um, that's only twelve teams too. So, I you know, but you know, I think for the most part, he's he's you know, especially if he has another struggled start, he's he's droppable. And you know, you could just drop him for Bauer, and that'd be an interesting upside for upside. Yeah, it play. could be. Let's stick with pitching and talk about uh, something else that came up today. Matt Lindstrom hit the disabled list with a foot injury, try, attempting to field a bunt, hurt his foot. And uh, now the closer role in Chicago is is a bit open. And we have, you wrote something over on the main site today talking about Ronald Belisario. And then in the past, we've talked about Daniel Webb. So let's let's look at Belisario first, since it's someone you wrote about. It, you, know, you mentioned that when you look at his recipe for success, you talk about the extreme, the extreme ground ball rate and the fact that he has a couple of pitches that are above average for him so far this year. Belisario is not your sort of typical, you know, this is the guy that's going to close situation. I mean, you know, he doesn't really have a history of closing, but that doesn't matter. Uh, he does. He has decent uh, gas at 93, but it's not, you know, it's not Trevor Rosenthal gas. Um, his career strikeout rate is 7 per 9 or, or, or 19%, basically around average. But he has an elite ground ball rate for his career. He has a nasty sinker. It's there's it's full of deception. It's just you know, Hunter Pence said it was the worst. He's the he's the nastiest pitcher he's ever faced. So um, you know, I think just by usage alone, you could say that Belzario is the guy. He's he's the only guy who has any holds really, other than a, a nondescript youngster named Putnam, who doesn't really have the gas to the strikeouts either. So I think it's pretty clear that Belzario is the guy that's the setup man now and is going to close. Yeah, when you look at, if you compare all three of these guys, if we look at Putnam, we look at Webb, we look at Belisario, obviously this data is just for 2014. As, as far as strikeout rates, almost identical. Putnam 17-9, Webb 18-1, Belisario 18-2. Belisario, clear advantage over walk rate as both Putnam and Webb have high walk rates. In terms of contact, because you're, you know, I know you're, you and I are both big fans of, of less contact for relievers, Belisario it has the highest amount of balls put in play of the three of these guys. Uh, then we look at left on base percentage, and Belisario struggling to strand runners. His left on base percentage is to fifty seven percent this year, while Putnam and Webb are both in the eighties. Uh, the ground ball rate, all three of these guys have above fifty percent ground ball rates, with Belisario being the most extreme. But Putnam's not that far behind him at sixty three percent, and Webb's at fifty two. 
Yeah, I think they're they're very they're very comparable guys. I, I think you know strand rate for for Bezalaria has a career seventy percent, seventy two percent, which is basically mm-hmm. league average. I don't think that's really a problem. And I, I just go back to the fact that if you're looking for a standout pitch, Belisario's sinker, even if you combine two seamers and sinkers and you look at them all as a group, he has the sixth best ground ground ball rate in baseball um, on a sinker. And none of the other guys, you know, figure in in the top ten. So you've got a, you've got a top ten pitch there, and I know there's a lot of balls in play, and it's not your traditional closer, but it's not like Lindstrom was there. Very closer. true. I mean, I thought the the other great point you made in the article was the fact that Belisario was the guy that's being used by Ventura in the eighth innings when the team has a lead, and you you don't yeah. see a lot of guys leapfrogged over that type of pitcher. I mean, he's been their de facto setup guy, so there's a good chance he's just going to slide right in. Everybody else just slides over to the right. And the last point to be made is that. There's no real reason to make Daniel Webb expensive. If you got five more years of him, you, you know, Ronald Belzario is a hired hand. Your your team is going to finish second to last or last in the in the division. And uh, it doesn't make any sense to make Webb more expensive now because any save you give him now is more money down the line. So I'm convinced that even though he doesn't check all the boxes that you necessarily want, that he's he's the guy. And really... Just take a pic. Take a look at a picture of him. This guy's not. <laughs> <laughs> he's on. He's on the. All, he's on the Willie McGee all ugly team. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about a guy that we talked about nearly a month ago uh, at some length, and that's Dallas Keuchel, who is coming off yet another good performance last night. Uh, if not for Mike Trout busting his ass down the line with two outs in a five nothing game in the ninth inning, Keuchel throws a a, bat, a second consecutive shutout. Uh, Trout beats it out by half a step. Uh, another hit by Pujols pulls out uh, pulls out Keuchel. Josh Zaid comes in, gives up a triple. The two runs score. They get they get stuck to Keuchel's line. But when you look at the numbers again, nearly back to back shutouts. We're talking about a guy who we talked about him on April twenty second. Since then, he's had five starts, three of which have had at least fifteen swings and misses in him. And this is a guy that barely throws over ninety. But as we talked about last month, and you were quick to point out, three above average pitchers. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I actually, uh, he's one of my labor targets, and I, and I had to go to two dollars to get him, and you know, I was, I was, I, I was in on him on deep leagues. The, the one thing that was hard for me was to know when he'd made the crossover from deep leagues to, to mixed leagues, and I think around late April, I was like, you know, this is, he's now an, a, a mixed leaguer because, you know, he looks, he has a bit of a whiff of a bad fastball around him. If you look at his four-seamer, he gets 2% whiffs, so. He really shouldn't throw that so often, I don't think. Um, and uh, the, but the sinker, though, you know, six, seven percent whiffs. That's that's probably above average for sinkers. I forget what the what the whiff rate for sinkers is, but uh, twenty, uh, twenty. I mean, like eighty percent ground balls. Actually, I, I just ran this for this year. He has the highest ground ball rate on any sinker in baseball. So you know, you what you've got is uh, stand out, possibly the best sinker in mm-hmm. baseball. You got eighteen percent. Uh, change uh, change up, which was always a, a strength of his. And then the big the big difference was he gave up that curveball that was crappy, and now he has a slider that he gets twenty six percent whiffs on, which is which is actually outstanding for a slider. So that's that's not only three legit pitches, but you know one top pitch in his sinker, and probably like a top five pitch in the slider. 
Somebody asked me when I had tweeted out uh, Mike Petriello's article on Keuchel this morning, somebody replied back, are you worried at all that Dallas Keuchel 2014 becomes Jeff Locke 2013, where he's just dominant in the first half and then everything falls apart? Personally, I'm not, because you could see the writing on the wall with Jeff Locke last year. The strand rate was insanely high. The batting average and balls in play was insanely low. And you could look at that and say, yeah, this isn't going to last. But you look at, when we take a peek at where Keuchel is right now, 77% left on base percentage, a 290 batting average and balls in play. 292 whip, uh, 292 ERA, 281 FIP. So it, 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 he doesn't have those lock indicators that were there last year for him where everybody could see that that fall apart, uh, you know, that all breaking down quickly. You don't, I don't see those, that, those indicators uh, with Keuchel. Do you have those concerns? No, the 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 best in-season indicator that I've ever seen is strikeouts minus walks. The average uh, strikeout minus walk rate for a starter is about 12%. Keuchel is at 17%, mm-hmm. 18%. So he's way above average when it comes to strikeouts and walks. And I haven't said a thing about his ground wall rate, which is tops in baseball among starters. So, I mean, he really it's really the perfect pitcher for Houston, too, because... They, you know, he's had homer issues in the past. I bet that was all when he was featuring his his four seamer. I'd love to talk to him because, you know, I talked to Kluber, and one of the things that Kluber said was, I was getting hit around, too many home runs, you know, I didn't know what to do. If you look at if you look at Keuchel, too many home runs, and now he's featuring the two seamer, not throwing the four seamer much at all. Same thing with Kluber, and uh, it's 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 it was a really nice thing. In fact, I want to call up my. Um, <clears throat> interview with Corey Kluber really quickly because I went around and looked for other pitchers that could give up their four-seamer and just throw a two-seamer in, in order to, to undergo the sort of Keiko-Kluber. Uh, I guess you, you need to have a cane in there, sure. too. Who else? Casimir, did he do this? Yeah, who, who are some guys? Uh, well, there's a lot of like um, older guys that I'm not sure they can do it. Jason Vargas... Um, you know, for one, but, um, you know, Scott Diamond has a terrible four seamer, mm-hmm. uh, and has never, never thrown a two seamer. Maybe he should throw it. Bill Hughes? Um, you know, uh, yeah, Jared Parker was on the list, but, uh, that's the lost cause. How about Jeremy Hellickson? Um, terrible. He has a, his four seamer string, swing strike rate is 3.9%. I'd like to see what it was before last year, because last year that was a mechanical issue that he was having. I, I really like to see what his numbers were prior to last year because I think he got crushed so badly last year uh, due to some mechanical things uh, and throwing that four-seam fastball. I, I really hated watching him pitch last year. and He was my favorite pitcher to watch prior to that. It just I saw him take three steps back last year, and it drove me crazy. I'm curious to see what it's going to be like when he comes back uh, here. But if you uh, getting back to Keuchel, Remind me off air. I, I do know their media relations person, not their social media, because we both know her. But I do know their I do know their <laughs> media relations person. So if you want to contact or reach out uh, to them to set up an interview, just let me know. Yeah, I would love to love to talk to them. We'll have to, have to, have to circle the, their date when they come into town. But um, you know, I, the list isn't very exciting. You know, guys with bad four seamers. I mean, listen to this list: Jason Vargas, Scott Diamond, Julie Chassin. Ryan Dempster, Esmeral Rogers, Yannick Gallardo, Mark Burley, Ryu. Um, See, I you know, actually like the last three. Some, 
Yeah, Ryu Gurley Gallardo. It's interesting. Gallardo actually started doing this where he started going to his two seamer more than his four seamer, and and I wasn't sure that was a good idea, um, but maybe it was a good idea. His four seamer is pretty putrid right now. Three point seven percent swing strike rate last year, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, you know that's what you. Ha- that's you know as much as I love the Dallas Keuchel change in the story and and how maybe it'll help people forget that I was in on Brad Miller. Um, the, the, as much as I love all that, the, the, the thing that I, that I worry about, about trying to find guys in the future is that if you've got a bad fastball, it's very hard to, to make it happen. I mean, just remember Mike Fires. For oh, every yeah. Dallas, there's a Mike Fires. And Mike Fires throws A788. He can't keep the ball in the ballpark. He has a pretty good change, pretty good curve. You know, but he still can't keep the ball in the ballpark. You know, will I keep an eye out on him? Yes. Will I draft him? Is no. he still doing well down in AAA? Yes. Uh, you know, Andy Sonnenstein was like that, that one year where he won all those games. And everybody's like, oh, maybe he can do something. But he was topping out at 87. Couldn't throw, you know, couldn't come in the strike zone uh, and couldn't get Ben Francisco out. Uh, <laughs> man, that matchup was ugly. And if you throw and if you throw in good command with that mix, it's the kind of person that will totally dominate the minor leagues. I mean, if you throw good command, even if you throw a seven, put it where you want it, and have two good breakers, you know, people people won't have anything to do with you in the minor leagues. But then you come up to the top, and they're just just wait and, on. Your and fastball. to update you on Michael Fires in AAA, he's pitching in, still in Milwaukee. AAA, six and one with a two zero one ERA, forty nine innings pitched, thirty eight hits, seven walks, and seventy two strikeouts, just three home runs allowed in forty nine innings. This is the same Michael Fires that couldn't get anybody out last year and, and had to get sent down. That's what he's doing down in AAA right now. So this is why we care about velocity. This is why velocity is always one of the first things reported. This is why, you know, you actually do have to think about velocity because it means something on top of the minor league numbers. Let's switch. Uh, the last note on Let's... pitching, I want to bring it up because, A, it's good news, and, B, it's not uh, It's not the, uh, the gloom and doom we always think it is. Andrew Castor's MRI actually revealed no structural damage. He has just elbow soreness and irritation. That's the good news. The bad news is there's no timeline on, uh, on his return. Um Personally, I had Andrew Kashner over the weekend. I said, you know what? I've, we've been down this road, what, 20 times this year? Somebody offered me Edwin Jackson straight up, and I took it. Mm. I just was like, I need a pitcher. I need strikeouts. I, I don't want to go down this road again. So, again, good news is no structural damage. Bad news is we have no idea when he's coming back. Bad news is it's still Andrew Kashner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's had injury bug his whole career. It's it's something to think about. I I, I wouldn't have taken that trade, but maybe deep league is a little bit different because you couldn't have gone yeah, to the 10 wire. Ten team NL. I mean, the wire would have been Michael Fires, who's still in Triple A. Actually, I have Michael Fires on my on my reserve list in that league. Uh, but that's where. And I remember there was somebody I forgot who wrote the article, but there was a piece the other day saying that uh, one of the writers had noticed that Kashner hadn't thrown his breaking ball in the last two starts. Oh, so that that was like, well, that, like, where did this come from? How did this sneak up on us? I forget the writer. Uh, somebody had mentioned he hadn't thrown his breaking ball at least in his last in the previous start. Maybe it had been the previous two. He just kind of stopped throwing it, and maybe this is why. That sounds very much like that. You know, another thing is, even though the MRI was clean, from what you know, I from what I've talked to uh, people in, in the sport, you know, 
they don't really know a lot of times until they go in mm-hmm. there. So it looks like it's good news, and the good news really is they're not going to go right. in there. Um, so they're not. There's no surgery, and this from the beginning I think was the kind of thing where they might go in there and and call it bone spurs and see what see what they find when they get in there. But so they're not going to go in there, and uh, you'd have to think that it's just going to be a week or two off, you know, a throwing program and 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 getting back in here in the next month sometime. Um, so I'm not dropping him, but uh, in in the deepest of leagues. You never know how the rehab will go, and if he f- suffers any setbacks, he may go back out. Agreed. Let's shift over to hitting and talk about uh, something that came up the other day. Somebody was asking, "Hey, who are the guys?" We talked recently about the guys who had uh, spiked to spike improve their strikeout rate as pitchers. Somebody had asked about who has improved their strikeout rate as batters. You know, who's re- improved, reduced it, so it's better than it was previously. And the the largest improvement in strikeout rate this year is Arizona's Miguel Montero. Miguel Montero struck out 23% of the time last season. This season, coming into play Tuesday, just 14% strikeout rate. That's a a huge, uh, just a tremendous improvement on his part. Next on that list, uh, Brandon Moss, Pedro Alvarez, Carlos Gonzalez. Those are each guys that have reduced their strikeout rate by eight full percentage points. There was an article... Um, that Octavio Hernandez uh, Pernilla had written uh, for a, a Spanish website. I have it. It's translated on Google Translate for me. Only reason I could read it because my Spanish is terrible. But he shows two pictures of what Miguel Montero, he had tweeted at me yesterday saying, hey, Montero has adjusted his two-strike approach. He has adjusted his stance, and he included some snapshots of the game. In 2013, Montero was more upright at the plate, hands at his eye level, uh, Hands up, right at about chin, mouth level rather. And then in 2014, now he's low. He's bending his bending his knees. Hands are a tad lower. Strike zone's a bit smaller. And we look at you know the uh, the stances improve things for him. He's making a bunch more contact. I'm looking at his contact rate. It's just improved across the board. He's also chasing fewer pitches. I mean, a change in stance has really led to his approach, and he hasn't sacrificed power. He's uh, slugging. Slugging at his best rate in a couple of seasons now. He's slugging five, slugging uh, four twenty six. Last year it was three forty four. Getting on base, I mean, he's he's kind of back to the Miguel Montero that we all fell in love with after two thousand and twelve when he had two eighty six and slugged four thirty eight. Now he's putting up, pardon me, almost the same numbers, but he's striking out a bunch less than he used to. I mean, with twenty three percent two years ago, just fourteen percent so far this year. Yeah, I I think it's a it's a great it's been a great ride for him. I think even if it did cost him a little bit of power because shortening up or or changing a two strike approach, these are the kind of things that you know used to be huge in baseball. Used to be a big reason why players made more contact and struck out less in the past. And I think part of why we're seeing so many strikeouts now is that sluggers aren't willing to give in on two strikes, and they're they're more willing to give up a strikeout for a home run. Um, so I think, but in Miguel Montero's case, the range of possible outcomes for his homers totals was probably somewhere between 12 mm-hmm. and 18. And if, even if he had sacrificed a homer or two, the added benefit of batting average, at least for us fantasy heads, and probably for his overall value, would have been better. So I think if a guy isn't going to hit you 20 homers anyway, maybe he should shorten up. Maybe he should put the ball in play more often and get some, get some hits out of it. So I'm, I'm all for him. I thought from the beginning of the year Montero was in that mix between 
sort of eight, you know, eight through sixteen, where the a lot of the the catchers were about the same to me. Um, so I've got I've got him in a couple of leagues, and you know, I've got I you know I ended up picking him up to replace Ramos in a couple right. other leagues. So I'm with him. And somebody next on that list, somebody that I've, I've liked in a few places. I have in a few places. Brandon Moss. Yeah, last year he hit thirty home runs. Did strike out twenty eight percent of the time. Only hit two fifty six. So there was some, some concern strikeout rate was going to get him. This year he's maintained the walk rate and has reduced his strikeout rate down to eighteen percent while giving up no power. In fact, if you look at his slugging percentage, it's sixty points higher than it was last year. It's almost right on par where it was in two thousand twelve. For a guy that's hitting in a quote-unquote pitcher's park, his slugging percentage has been no lower than 522 as a member of the Oakland A's. I have nothing bad to say about Brandon Moss except that I wish I loved him more. At the beginning of the season, I thought that the strikeouts would continue to stick around. I mean, he one of the big things that they taught him here in Oakland was to just open up on the front foot and, and kind of sell out for power. Uh, if you look back at at his old version of himself, he did have better strikeout rates in the past. And there is sort of something that happens with the sort of Chris Davis thing where I think I saw a great piece on this on baseball for Sexus actually pitchers start pitchers start throwing you further away from the heart of the zone, the more they fear you. And so even if you don't have a natural, you know, the, the best sense of the strike zone, you know, anyway, if the, if you do start hitting for power, the pitchers will start avoiding the center of the zone. And what you're seeing with Moss is that the more he's hit for power, the more his walk rate's gone up. And I think it's actually the power is sort of the first thing. And the walk rate's going up now. You know, Chris Davis didn't have great walk rates in the minors. And that was one of the reasons I was always worried about him. But now that he's hitting for all this power, the pitchers are avoiding the heart of the zone. And so he can, he, he can have a better idea he can discern balls and strikes a little bit better. And um, I guess, you know, just swing at the mistakes. I don't know. The power is still there. Just making more contact, walking more. You know, he's even starting against some lefties. So, you know, there's not that much of a – there's no, you know, but here, I don't think. Yeah, indeed. Let's look at uh, two guys that aren't realizing the gains from improved strikeout uh, rates, and that's Pedro Alvarez and Carlos Gonzalez, Pedro Alvarez has reduced his strikeout rate from 30%, which it had been for the previous three seasons, down to 22% this year. He's walking more, which gets a little bit to your point about they fear you more, they're going to walk you a little more. But his slugging percentage is just 373 this year. Uh, that's 100 points lower than it was last year. He has just 10 extra base hits so far this year, uh, coming off a season in which he had 60. Yeah, well, I mean, I I have confidence in him. I I think this I think this is a better approach for him. I think you know he's a he's a guy that can get on base. He has speed. He has power. I, I think that he should be making more contact, and I think it'll work out for him in the end. I don't think I, the only thing that always worries me about him is his health. That's about the only thing. I I always wonder when he's going to go on the DL and for how long. Let's hope he doesn't. Uh, Carlos Gonzalez, we're coming off a season where he struck out 27% of the time and yet still batted 300. That's tough to do. That's only been done eight other times historically by guys that have had at least 250 plate appearances. Each one of them dropped the next year batting average-wise, and and that has uh, 
happened so far with cargo is hitting 275. Yeah, but you know what? I think what he's going to do. What's funny is if you look at his 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 old strikeout rates, they're much more like the one he's yes, got now. Yes, exactly. So I think he'll actually go back to hitting 300 again this year, but it'll be just one of those one one year blips where for some reason he struck out a bunch and. Probably showed the most power. You know, maybe it was a sort of aggressive swing idea. Maybe because he's, he's 22, 21, 19, 20, 27, and now he's back at 19 this year. Yeah, so I feel like there's some, there's maybe a little bit less power upside in this in this type of swinging. But I, I really have no problem. I guess I don't think he'll steal 21 this year. He's only taken off mm-hmm. two times, but you know. We know we always knew that stolen bases would would fall off. I mean, you you you, you take the stolen bases when you can. I I have a sort of older dynasty league team in, a, in an eighteen team league, one that used to used to be in. And I have a hard time with steals because older I have all players. these old guys. Plotter, it's an on base percentage league, right? So I'm happy with my team for the most part, but nobody wants to trade me their young, uh, fleet of foot guy, you know. So I, I'm trying for James Jones right now. But, uh, you know, I feel like I have to overpay for everything I want because I'm a perennial top three finisher and everybody hates trading me. I don't, I don't understand. I hate that crap. It's not like – and that league is full of mostly writers. That's the funny thing. So it's not like you're getting, you're getting biased because you're, you're a writer who does this. That entire league's full of people like that. I know. And, I mean, like, I, I was trying to get Craig Gentry. Craig Gentry is a right-handed – Short side platoon guy. <laughs> Short side platoon guy, fourth outfielder, and I offered Arietta and Duffy. That should have gotten it done. Which, that should have gotten it done, man. It's an eighteen-team league or a twenty-team league. You know, uh, these are these are two interesting arms. One of them could actually turn out to right. be something. Where Drentry is going to give me fifteen stolen bases, like, and and probably hurt me in all the runs and all these other categories. That's just like, uh, all right, man. I I can't. I can't do better than that for Craig Gentry. So. <laughs> you can't win. Uh, some of the other guys on this list, we're not going to break into them, but if you listen to the names in this list, you hear guys that are having good seasons so far. You want to assess, but it's Seth Smith, Justin Morneau, Austin Jackson, Jose Altuve, Kurt Suzuki. You know, those are names that you're finding on this list that have improved their strikeout percentage by at least five full percentage points. Uh, so, But some of these other guys, there, Alex Gordon's on that list. He just now started hitting. There is a guy we should talk about, though, is Pedro Alvarez. Yes. Because, you know, he's another guy like Cargo where you might be able to buy him low, even though his skill set seems to have fundamentally changed. I mean, he went from 30, 30% strikeout rate for 33 straight years. Now he's at 22% or 21.5%. And it's, it seems to be organically, you know, supported by – the the swing rate going down, the reach rate going down, uh, his his zone swing rate staying about the same. So he's basically just reaching less, you know, and and making more contact. And I have to think this will uh, eventually lead to one of the better batting averages of his career. Maybe not because he started with 180 plate appearances of 209, but if I'm projecting for the rest of the season, I'm I'm projecting him for about a 250 batting average and 20. 20 to 22 more homers, and that's that's worth Yeah, because right now his batting average and balls in play is just 225, and it's been over the last, since 2010, including this year, it's 292. Last year it was 276, 308 the previous season, so it's about 50 points lower than his, than any other effort for him. And the, the, just the concern is just the 10 extra base hits so far, again, coming off a season 
where he's had 60 and 56 the one before at 10 right now. That, that puts him on pace for about 42, 43 extra base hits. He did take off around this point uh, actually a little earlier than this last year. He got off to that huge surge. He is the kind of streaky guy. But I do agree. I think he's a decent buy low opportunity for somebody. You were talking about Pedro Alvarez earlier. I thought you were talking about Carlos no. Gonzalez. We, we, we kind of switched. We jumped over it, but uh, we didn't finish it. So there, there we just rounded out Pedro Alvarez. I'd buy both those guys. I would buy – I would buy uh, – I love this list just because strikeouts – you know, I know that strikeouts are less uh, – are, are less of a big deal when everyone's striking out. But still, in fantasy, we want batting average. The real, real life game doesn't care about batting average, but we do. And batting average is negatively associated with, or negatively correlated with strikeout rate. So any of these guys that's putting up a better batting average, a better strikeout rate is, is way more likely to put up a better batting average going forward. So guys like, uh, Alex Gordon, Pedro Alvarez, Carlos Gonzalez, guys who have had better batting averages in the past and who are showing better strikeout rates, but not better batting averages right now. Those are guys I want to buy. Those are, those are easy buys. Yes. Uh, let's stick on that note for a guy that was a, pro- uh, a producer last year and is not doing it this year. That's Alan Craig. I mean, that's Mr. Cardinals devil magic himself, a guy that had hit 422 with runners in scoring position over the previous two seasons, uh, is currently hitting 220 with runners in scoring position, is not driving in runs, is not hitting with power. He ended last year with a foot injury, and he says he's healthy, but if you look at the numbers, pitchers are pounding this guy inside with fastballs. And to me, that talks about a guy not being able to get that front foot down and turn and burn like you were talking about with Brandon Moss and how Oakland wants him to hit. It It, it sounds like, and looking at those kind of numbers, that that's what Craig is unable to do, and everybody in the league knows it because you look at his pitch frequency charts, and he is just getting busted inside, 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 and with fastballs, and he's not doing anything with them. And previously, he's crushed those pitches. The the other thing is that, well, there's a couple other things. He is older than people think. Um, he's uh, 30 or 31. So it's, you know, it's possible that he's post-peak already, even though, you know, we didn't see him that much of a peak to begin with. And he, he is like a ground ball guy. And I did a piece on Monday. I'm talking slowly while I try to get it up. <laughs> and uh, let's see here. Alan Craig is hitting 164% more ground balls this year. Good for fifth biggest rise in ground ball rate. And he's seen his ISO go down. He's seen, you know, his home run total go down. And, uh, you know, he's hitting almost three ground balls for fly balls. Ben reviewed it last year. So Elvis Andrews had three ground balls for fly balls. You know, Gene Sakura had three ground balls for fly balls last year. Emilio Bonifacio. That's good company. So, (laughs) yeah, right. Alvin does it too. So there is, you know, you can hit 14 or 15 home runs with this sort of thing. But, I mean, we're looking at Howie Kendrick without the speed. Is basically what we're looking at. I mean, here the if you look at his outcomes on the fastball for the previous two seasons, just hitting fastballs, this guy was hitting 377, slugging 574 against the fastball and putting 44 percent of them on the ground. 
This season, he's hitting 204, slugging 330 off the fastball and putting 59% of them into the ground. And that is just a complete night and day switch and outcomes the way things are. And again, these guys are just pitching them in, in, and in. He has two home runs off the fastball, one to center and one to right field. Nothing pulled. It's like he cannot, Is he's fighting these things off and he's just not getting the ball there. He doesn't even have that many oh, almost home runs. You just look, you see a lot of fly balls, a lot of stuff the other way. It's almost like the league realizes he can't hit up, he can't pull anything with authority right now. So we're just going to bust his butt inside and see what he can do with it. Now he has to, you know, can adjust back, and you know what, you know what we just have to do is watch. You know, the one of the things when we have these these things and we talk about uh, statistics being stable and everything, there is that wrinkle that these players can change. And, you know, the best players do a lot of adjusting. I just saw Miguel Cabrera in the game last night. He got shifted as a right-handed mm-hmm. hitter. And he actually, he, he made it look like he meant to do it. And I don't know if it's true or if that was gamesmanship or whatever, but he kind of did an inside-out swing and hit a ball right where they weren't. And, you know, he kind of tried to be, you know, just stay late and kind of like, you know, hold back on the ball and, and swing, you know, go through it the other way. You know, that's that's going to be amazing. That also wouldn't be great for his power. You know, if he did that a lot, they would maybe start shifting him less and then he could start hitting for power. Again, yeah. Right? <laughs> so these weird swings in in his in his numbers um, as he adjusted and they adjusted back. And I've told the story about Brandon Belt before where he was he couldn't hit anything low. And so, you know, he opened up his front foot and uh, the, sort of the Brandon Moss thing, but he also changed his grip and then he could hit everything low. So he's, he was hitting everything low out of the yard and then they stopped throwing it to him low and his strikeout rate went up. But now he's going to start, you know, when he's healthy, he's probably going to start spraying it again and his power will go down. And, you know, so it's, it's <clears throat> we're always just trying to like stay on top of this and stay rooted in the numbers because the numbers – um, you know, are the big sample and tell us what happens in the biggest of samples. But it, it does help to watch the games. It does help to sort of think about what's happening and, and how these players Indeed. are Indeed. Speaking of somebody who has adjusted, Alexi Ramirez, last year, you know, if we had in the, we look at 2009 to 2011, somebody that was hit for upper, uh, 15 to 18 home runs, didn't steal that many bases, and then in 2012 started running and, and wasn't hitting home runs. And same thing in 2013, didn't hit the home runs, but stole 30 bases. This season, he's doing both. He has six home runs already, matching last year's total. He has seven steals. It's putting him on pace for a, a nearly a 20-30 season. And we're talking about, as you mentioned with Craig, a guy that's a little older than we think. Alexi Ramirez is 32 years old. For him to pull a 20-30 season the way he's on pace to right now would be a huge surprise. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's also hitting about 40 points higher than he's ever hit. He's hitting fewer ground balls for every fly ball than he did last year, at least. So there's some sort of loft situation there. But he's a mega infield fly ball guy. And his, his career rate is really bad. His rate this year is really bad. So, you know, I think that the the, the fact that his career BABIP is under 300 and that his, his BABIP right now is a 340, I think the biggest sort of sell hyena, sell hyena about him is the BABIP. You call him a hyena? 
Well, the, the, the cell highness. <laughs> well, the other thing is his, his home run to fly ball ratio was four times what it was last year. It's double what it was the season, the two seasons before. But, but it would have fit into his earlier career. Yes, it would have. I mean, it would have fit one through three. So um, I guess, you know, if he hits, if he goes a couple weeks without a homer, those numbers will relax a little bit. Um I don't think he'll hit way. I don't think he'll. I don't think he can prorate this or anything. So I think he'll hit around 15, 12 to fifteen homers. That's fine. The thing about stolen bases is, once a player decides to start taking off, it's it's all in their control. I mean, I talked to Alex Rios about this. I said, "What happened with stolen bases? You know, you had your career high at thirty whatever." And he said, "I think it's a part of my game. I decided to start taking off more, and it's working out for me." So I think. You know, it's weird he's taking off so much, but since he's seven of eight, you can't say that his team is going to say stop, stop taking off. So, I think um, you know whatever he's figured out about this, his success rates have gone up the last couple of years. He's figured something out. Um, I'll take him for twenty twenty five steals. So, it's just you know a little bit of a hot start. I don't buy the batting average. I'm going to regress the power a little bit, but overall, by the end. Of- the end of the season, he'll still be a 280 hitter, 15, 20 stolen base, 15 homers, 20 stolen bases. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, indeed it is. I mean, it just for me, it was a little surprising when you see a guy whose home run to fly ball ratio had declined each of the past four seasons, okay. and all of a sudden here we go with him, and it, it had gone down from ten to seven to five to three, and now all of a sudden here it is twelve. I mean, I'm very happy to own him in uh, AL Tout Wars. It wasn't somebody that I targeted, but I looked at list. You know what? I like him. Because he's running, and if the if the power comes back even a little, this is a. I think I ended up paying twelve bucks for him. Maybe I say even if the power comes back a little, this works for me. And right now it's working out uh, extremely well. And then if, if if the home runs continue as it warms up in Chicago, you know, if he pulls a twenty to thirty season out like this, that would be uh, quite a surprise. Final topic is going to be a, a, a listener request. Somebody wanted us to talk about what we do looking for drafting prospects in our keeper and dynasty leagues. And you play in a couple of them. I play in a couple of them. Uh, Personally, when I'm looking at prospects, I do keep an eye on what I have on my, on my active roster. I'm a big fan of trying to draft the prospects behind the guys I have. For example, I, last year I traded for Jose Tabata because I already had Greg Polanco on my farm system. So I figured I didn't want to be waiting around so I could get – I have Tabata, I have Polanco. So as that situation plays itself out, I just flip them. One goes to the reserve, one goes to the active, and, and there I am. But I am a fan of looking – and then if I have a – if we're in a long-term contract, if I do have a long-term contract, a guy that's in year three of six at, let's say, second base, and I've am I going to get another second base? If I have a second base process, I might just let the second base prospects go – because I'm already taken care of there. I don't need to worry about that. Uh, or conversely, if I'm deep in the outfield, I'm going to try to go for another position. One thing I don't like to do, uh, I've been burned by this too many times in the past, I don't care about catching prospects anymore. I really don't. They so often do not pan out. I'll let somebody else worry about it. But if, if that's one position I avoid, it's catchers. I'll go after pitchers. I don't care. I've got Harvey Hunter. I have Sean Manea uh, in, in some of my leagues. But catching prospects, I let somebody else deal with them. I think those are all good. I, I don't know that I care so much. A lot of times in my in my uh, on my farm teams, I I guess it depends on the depth of my league a little bit. If I'm in a in a deep league, 
then yeah, I want prospects where I need them. And I like the idea of pairing them with a major leaguer. In, in more shallow leagues, I only, I only want you know top 20 prospects or top 50 prospects. I don't want to go any lower than that. And it's just because the bust rate just drops off completely after their top 10. So, uh, you know, basically, in general, I just fade prospects. I just, I just sell them. I sell them all the time. I don't uh, try to hold on to them too hard. And, uh, you know, I just – the bust rate on pitchers is 50%. The bust rate, you know, I think Gregory Polanco has one of the best bust rates of any prospect in, in, out there right now because, you know, we've seen that there's research that says good walk rate and good strikeout rate, these things don't necessarily translate exactly to the major leagues, but they put you in a better bin for succeeding. So basically, Polanco has a good walk rate, good strikeout rate, and he's a top 10 hitter. I think that probably gives his, makes his bust rate around 25 to 30%. He still has a bust rate of a quarter. You know, if, if I'm trading him for something, you know, I have to take into consideration that, you know, yes, his ceiling could be great, but also he could his one quarter chance at zero. So I try to I try to factor that in, but for the most part, I trade prospects and I don't value them too highly. And um, you know, I always I always find people, you know, and, and when I'm looking to find people, I I do actually look at these strikeout walk rates. I look at it for both hitters and pitchers. And, you know, for last year, I heard about this guy, Mookie Betts. He was, he was in Carson Sestouli's Fringe 5 one, mm-hmm. one week or something. And I looked at his minor league rates, and I was like, wow, here's a guy. He's short, so that's why he's not on any prospect list. But he's got, he's got a walk rate that's higher than a strikeout rate, and he's got an above-average ISO. So, you know, even if he doesn't have a lot of power because he's 5'8", he could have Pedroia-type power. You know, he could have Altuve-type power. He could have you know, six to 10 homer type power. He's stealing bases. He's going to have a decent batting average. You know, this guy's going to at least, at the very least, rise up prospect lists quickly and give me something to trade. Now, at this point, I've sort of fallen in love with Mookie Betts, and I don't know if I will trade him. But I've got him in a ton of leagues. Everywhere where I have a farm system, I have Mookie Betts. And now, now he's a great trade asset because he's going to be a top, you know, 15, 20 prospect pretty soon. So, those are the kind of guys that I would look for helium. If it doesn't work out, you drop him. You pick mm-hmm. up the next guy with helium. I mean, it, it, you know, people, especially in the world of prospects, I think are very malleable in terms of, oh, that guy's hot. He's going to be something. Keith Law said something about him. You know, this other guy said something about him. This is the time I need to trade for this guy. And then you say, okay, you here, here, have Mookie best. I'll go find the next one. That's that's kind of how I, so, I usually operate as well. I mean, I, no, I have Polanco, but if somebody and, and I'm eighth place in my league in my NL league right now because I, I've lost Jay Bruce for a little bit of time and some things haven't panned out in that league. That was a league also by Cashner. But if somebody wants to come at me hard for for Polanco, I'll trade him. And then my AL league, I, yes, I have. I've got Harvey Hunter, who I love. I have Mike Fultonevich. I have Sean Manea. I'll trade any three of those guys if it's going to help me win this year. I always play year to year to year. I don't care about the future. I can rebuild the future because these guys always come back around. There's always somebody else. I mean, Mookie Betts was on nobody's league last year. Mookie Betts was not even picked up during the season of my league. And there's a there's a diehard Red Sox homer in my league who was usually picking up all of these guys. He didn't have Mookie Betts last year. And I probably told the story before, but when I was when you and I were out the AFL last year, I was talking to a scout who said Mookie Betts is the best player that I've seen out here. He's going to skyrocket up a bunch of things. If you're playing fantasy, get the guy as soon as you possibly can. 
Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. We were talking to that guy at mm-hmm. the same time. That's funny. That must have been the first time I heard his name. Um, yeah, I, so here's an example. Here's a team. We have I have them in a league uh, with a bunch of guys from Pitchfork. And um, they, uh, you have basically one or two prospects that you can protect every year. So uh, and it's like a 12-teamer. So it's, it's the kind of place where this is exactly what I'm talking about. I don't know how highly I value these prospects. I hope I really hope they're not listening. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I've been offered Kyle Seeger, Xander Bogarts, and Jason Kipnis for my Carlos Correa, Johnny Cueto, Josh Donaldson, and Joe Jerko. Which part did you say Quato no? and Donaldson. Already I'm saying no. Yeah. I love Bogarts, and this is a t- I love Kipnis. And it's an on-base percentage league, so... You know, Bogarts is a little bit better. I don't hate Seager. I don't value Korea very highly. Um, so, you know, I don't know. And Jerko's a, been a problem for me. I've been starting Lowry over him. Um, the problem that I see here is that I'd have to still start Lowry, and I'd have to go down to Seager and lose one of my best pitchers uh, just to acquire Kipnis and Bogarts for the future. And I'm undefeated, and I'm in first place. So... This is the kind of deal that I might consider if I needed some lightning in a bottle. But right now, I'm just looking at this and being like, you know, why do I have to shoot myself in the foot now for a possibility of better later? Agreed. I agreed with that. I just, I'm all I'm all a fan of, of trading Cueto right now. If somebody wants to buy high at the no, level right. he's at, he's just pitching amazing uh, baseball. And Howard Begdal wrote a great piece on Sports on Earth about him today. So if you want to go read that piece, go look up that. But, man, no, I'd have to decline that offer if it was sent to me. All right, uh, any final thoughts before we uh, shut it down and uh, reconvene for a final time on Thursday? No, but um, just, to, just to reiterate, you, you'll still get your, your Colette on, on Sundays with minutes. Yes, hopefully. definitely. Well, that, that was part of my separation agreement. I had to keep doing Sundays. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, and we'll keep um, – We'll keep doing the midweek sleeper in the bus. I just got to find a co-host. Yeah, definitely want to keep that up. It just and sorry for short notice, folks, but honestly, this job offer kind of came out of nowhere and finalized Monday morning. So that's why. And they said we need you to start next Tuesday. So the sense of urgency uh, is what made things happen quickly. So uh, again, comments about anything? Drop them in the comment section, uh, as the person did who wanted us to talk about drafting prospects. And we can get to that next show. Thanks again, as always, for your uh, patronage. And we will talk to you guys on Thursday. 